Test, test.
All right, good morning, good morning. We can start making our way to our seats. Get the final 10-second countdown. Glad you all are fellowshipping and enjoying one another. I'm going to have to call out my own mother. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. That lady loves to socialize. It's fun. No. Just kidding, Mom. Love you. Good morning, Gateway. Great to see everybody. So glad you're here this morning to worship with us and enjoy family and community together. I want to welcome all those watching us online. We're also so glad you're here with us today. Just got a few announcements. We have a really special time today with um, some kids' ministry opportunities up here. We're going to see a chapter of God's Word declared. We're going to recognize some wonderful students and their accomplishments and transition into college and youth group. So, uh, But just to cover a couple announcements here and there. Ladies, today, directly after church, you're having a wonderful time of fellowship over in the gym, a ladies' taco luncheon. Um, for those that have not registered, there's still room. If you just are here for the first time and you go, oh, I just heard about it or forgot about it, please join them. It's in the gym directly after a wonderful time of fellowship, getting to hear some of the opportunities um, that you can be a part of community in the ladies' ministry. Also today at 4.30 here in the sanctuary is our every other week prayer time. Um, here in the sanctuary at 4.30, a time of prayer. Also, ladies, a new Esther summer Bible study is uh, kicking off on June 6th. It's being led by Alicia's Young on Monday nights at 6.15 p.m. Very excited about that opportunity for you. There's limited child care available. So uh, must be requested this week. Talk to Alicia or call the office uh, to let us know if you're interested so we can get the proper child care preparations that we need. The website has the uh, information on the details at Gateway Baptist. And lastly, just a continual reminder, Vacation Bible School. Kids, you guys excited? Woo! We're going to enjoy Spark Studios, June 13th through 17th. Uh, registration is open online. And uh, this is for kids who are completing first to fifth grades. And all the details, again, are on the website. All right. Well, let's stand and let's worship the Lord together in song and rejoice in him. I want to read over a Psalm chapter 24 this morning. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, even Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory.
in my sorrow. Alone in my sorrow, ended in my sin. Lost without hope and no place to begin. Your love made a way to let mercy come in. When death was arrested and my life began. was redeemed, only beauty remains. My orphan heart was given me. My morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance. When death was arrested, my life began. Oh, your grace, so Washes over me. You have made me new. Now life begins with you. And it's your endless love pouring down on us. You have made us new. Now life begins with. Chains, I'm a prisoner no more. My shame was a ransom, faithfully more. He canceled my debt.
amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. For I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Hallelujah. Christ is risen from the grave. Hallelujah. Christ is risen from the grave.
guys can be seated. Talk more about the difference Christ's resurrection makes. But first, we have several special things we get to do this morning that I'm super excited about. We're going to start in just a minute with a kid's scripture, scripture memory recitation for you. Our third and fourth grade Sunday school class has been known for years for having God's word hidden in their hearts. They teach so faithfully the kids to memorize scripture. And so over this school year, the boys and girls in the third and fourth grade class have memorized all of Isaiah chapter 53. Not like a verse or two, but the whole chapter. And they're going to recite it for just a minute. But I just want to give you some context of what you're about to hear. If you think back to last September, as we were working through our catechism that's guiding us, we came to question 19 and we said, is there any way to escape punishment and be brought back to God's favor? And we looked at the answer for that in Isaiah chapter 53 that you'll hear this morning. So I just want to give you some background reminders of what you're about to hear from the boys and girls. So you're going to hear a prophecy from Isaiah written about 740 B.C., so seven centuries before Jesus came. And Isaiah came to speak on behalf of God. And what you have from the boys and girls this morning, Isaiah 53, is a massive poem. It's five stanzas, three lines each, so it's beautiful symmetry in this. And as you hear in this, you'll hear both... God the Father speaking, and you will also hear Isaiah speaking. The third person is Isaiah speaking. The first person is God speaking. That was common in prophecies. But this whole, this whole prophecy about the servant, and the servant is Christ. This is 700 years before Jesus came, but the promise of the Messiah who comes to rescue us. And let me just remind you, when we studied Isaiah 53, we saw that God delights in removing our guilt and reconciling us through a redeemer. So as the boys and girls come, rejoice in the fact that God is reconciling us to himself and has removed our guilt. So third and fourth grade boys and girls, you guys come on up here. Yeah, third and fourth graders, y'all come on up here. And, and friends, as you hear this, let us encourage you how they've hidden God's word in your heart, in their hearts. But let it challenge us as well that we all should be hiding God's word in our hearts. Look at 
Well, good job, boys and girls. If you're going to return back to your parents' seat, what a great reminder of the power of the Word of God and what an encouragement to us adults as well. We can study and memorize God's Word as well, just like that. Molly Moore is our children's ministry director here, and Molly's going to come recognize our sixth graders who are moving up to the youth group. I'm telling you, families, if we'd only had a baby dedication this morning, our little lives could pass before our eyes as we go through the seasons of life. So, I mean, that is so awesome to see, really, the scripture that they have learned. And now we're going to talk about the sixth graders who have been through similar things, been learning. And we want to just give a moment to recognize them. If you are here, Miss Zoe Bedient, if you'll come see me on stage. Ashlyn Hathaway, <laughs> um, Megan Steen, are you here, Megan? Um, Jeremy Walker and Josiah Shearer. If y'all will come on up here. Hey, sweet people, just come right up here is good. So here's one of the next phases in life. These sweet kiddos, let's scoot down a little bit so I can see you, Jeremy. There you go. So these sweet kiddos are in sixth grade, finishing up, about to walk into the youth department with Mr. Falcioni over here. Wow, is that pretty exciting? I'm excited for you. They're like, yeah. So I'm, I know several families out here have some children in the youth department already, some do not. It is a major step. So we wanna be sure and recognize it and encourage you kiddos. So the thing that we have for you today is a Bible. So guys, I know that most of you who have been here for a little while anyway, we've been working for the Gospel Project on Sunday mornings, so you have been beginning and end going all the way through the Bible, and that's starting again. I really, we all pray that you've got a good foundation through your family and through church to build on, and we want to give you God's Word today. I want to, y'all remember a verse you've probably learned when you were young in Psalm, where, where we're told that God's Word is a light to our feet, a lamp to our feet, and a light to our path. And I've been thinking about that as we're talking and just wanted, I don't know if any of you guys have ever gone camping or been in the dark, and when you shine a flashlight to understand where you're going, I read a commentary that the Bible is more like a candle. So you are going to see your path, but you can't see it all the way. You're not going to be able to see the end. But if you trust in God and you read his word, he's going to give wisdom and guidance as you grow and as you learn. So now is a really amazing time to solidify some friendships that are within your church family, to have some accountability. All of you study God's word together and know that this will guide you throughout your life if you'll trust in him and trust in his word and the truth that's in it. If I could get the parents of these little children here to stand up, we're going to take just a moment to pray for them, and I want you to take a look at these families, because guys, this is a, it's a new step for them, and as I usually say, you all commit to pray for babies when they come here, and we pray that, we'll, that they will seek God and they will know him at a young age. We'll keep praying for these families and these young men and women Pray that they will trust God soon. If not, if they have not already made that commitment, we pray that they will. So let's all pray together for the families just a moment. Father God, we are so thankful today for the gift of children. 
and just the lives that these children have led already, God, that they are already in this church and spending time with you. God, we pray for Josiah. We pray for Megan. We pray for Jeremy and Ashlyn and Zoe that is not here today. God, we pray that you will speak directly to their hearts through your word. Pierce their hearts. Help them seek you and find you. God, help them to grow in your word. And for these next few years in particular in the youth department, God, I pray that you will give them good leaders and good friends that will continue to point them to you, God, and that this will be a time that they will build this foundation of truth on your word and for their lives so that, God, that they, they know you at a young age and that they follow you all of their days. God, we pray for these parents that are standing right now and the parents that are not here. We pray that you will provide them with the ability to see your truth as well and to share with the, the children and to spend time each day and each moment that they can, God, sharing your love and your truth. God, we love you, and we are so thankful for this precious gift of life that we have here before us, and we are so thankful that you love them even more than we, and we trust them in your hands. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And kids, I promise I don't bite, and um, I'm good. Your youth team has been praying for you guys, the youth volunteers. Everybody is so excited about you joining our youth family, and... Uh, Next weekend, we'd love to see you guys in Sunday school and obviously on Wednesday nights and being able to fellowship together. So I have the privilege and the opportunity to honor two wonderful young ladies. So I would like to ask Anna Steen and Angelina Walker to please come up. Uh, these two have been a vital part of our ministry in the youth group. They've given their time and they've invested. They lead small groups, um, times when we've needed them to step up in different ways. They have volunteered cheerfully and just very mature to young ladies, and I've, I've gleaned a lot from their lives over the past couple of years, and we're just so happy to be able to honor them this morning. And so we're just going to let you know a couple of things about them. We're going to do just alphabetically. Yes, Anastine here. Uh, she's homeschooled and graduating from Ezekiel Academy. Uh, she is a part of the Armory Athletics, where she's a coach and a level eight team in gymnastics. She's been faithfully doing gymnastics for years. Also, she's been taking violin since she was four years old, and we have obviously been blessed with your gift week in and week out. We are so grateful that you are minister to us through the violin and so grateful for that. She will be attending Auburn University here in Montgomery, and she'll be majoring in exercise science to become a physical therapist. So we give a, just celebrate you this morning, Anna. We bless you. And this is Miss Angelina Walker. Um, she's also been homeschooling and been uh, graduating from Ezekiel Academy as well. When I sent out a little thing about the bio, it was so cute for her to give me a little response. She goes, I didn't play sports or participate in any clubs, but I joyously babysat for Gateway for the last two years. <laughs> yes, it's true, true. I know there's a lot of families across this congregation that are like, yes, we thank God for Angelina. And uh, she was always willing, always available, always faithful. We got in a bind in the office like, let's call Angelina. <laughs> so uh, we appreciate your servanthood in that. And she's also attending AUM and will be majoring in business administration. And she presently is working for the Alabama Partnership for Children as her administrative assistant. So we love you and we honor you as well. You. We wanted to... Bless these two ladies with a, a good study Bible. As you guys know, when we teach, context, 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 right? <laughs> so we just wanted to invest in your lives as you're about to 
transition to the next journey of college where you may could use that on a few classes. You never know. But um, for sure in getting to know the Lord and one day as you're going to be teaching others and discipling others. So we're so proud of you and excited for what God has in store. So let's pray for these ladies. God, we thank you so much for Anna and for Angelina. Um, God, I just thank you for the joy of allowing uh, me to have the opportunity to be in their lives the past few years and watch them mature and grow and just have fun with our group and invest in so many young people's lives. God, we pray as this next journey begins that um, as I know their hearts, God, they will be seeking you. They will be seeking your wisdom, your discernment, understanding, guidance. Uh, We just pray, God, that you make it clear as they transition to AUM. Lord, you prepare their hearts to know that this is the next phase of a mission field that you're calling them to to be salt and light, to be your ambassador, to represent you well well on that campus. And we just thank you, God, even right now, you're already ordering divine appointments for these young ladies to be able to impact lives for the gospel. And we just thank you for both of them. Thank you for the investment they've made into our youth group. They'll always be a part. And we just pray you protect them, watch over them, guide and direct their steps, bless their families. God, thank you for both their parents and uh, how they've invested into them and sown truth into them. And we get to see the fruit of it truly get to see the fruit of your grace in their life. So we praise you and thank you for them. And Lord, for the rest of our time in this service, we ask you, Lord, to bless our Pastor Grady. We ask you to give him um, energy and excitement, Lord, and just fill him afresh with your spirit as he's about to bring the word to us. Give us hearts to receive, eyes to see, ears to hear, God. May your Holy Spirit bring the word to us today. And we love and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. fourth graders, you can head to kids' worship. You have Pastor CJ and Miss Nikki today, so you're going to have a lot of fun right there, guys. For the rest of us, as the boys and girls are headed out to kids' worship, I want you to find Romans chapter 6 in your copy of God's Word this morning. Romans chapter 6. Friends, we only have two more weeks left in our study of being rooted or grounded in the Word of God. As we come to the last three weeks in this study, the New City Catechism that's been guiding us through this gives us three big questions to end this focus, to end this study that we've been doing. As I've been reading and reflecting over these last three questions that we're coming to, there's one word in my mind that pulls it all together. It's not the word that you'll find in the catechism, but it's the words I look at the last three questions that I see over and over in it, and that's the word hope. So we think about these last three topics. There's so much hope in our, that should be produced in our hearts. So we think about what God's word says to us as we reflect on these questions. Now, to, give, to end on this note of hope, the New City Catechism is going to point us back to three truths that we've already seen, the resurrection, the ascension, and eternity or eternal life. And so over the next three weeks, as we wrap up this study, we're going to look at the resurrection again, the ascension again, and eternal life. So today we come back to the topic of the resurrection, what we celebrated on Easter Sunday. And our question today is question number 50. What does Christ's resurrection mean to us? What does Jesus's resurrection mean to us? To us. Now, there's so much that we could say about this. There's so much we've already said about this over the last year in this study. But there, we want to focus this morning on a particular type of hope that Jesus' resurrection gives to us as followers of Christ. Hope that you and I need to walk every day of this journey of life that we're on. So as you look at Romans 6 this morning, we're looking at the first four verses. I want you to be looking for what type of hope do we find here because of Jesus' Resurrection. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? Friends, we have a treasure that God has revealed Himself to us and put it even in writing before us that we could read His Word and have access to it. So let's treasure this together. Romans 6, verses 1 to 4. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin 
still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you're a God who reveals himself. You've not hidden yourself from us. Thank you for showing us who you are. And thank you for showing us how what Christ did for us changes us. So I pray this morning for myself and these precious brothers and sisters, that God, that you would take these truths and let them get rooted deep in our hearts, that you might continue to be transforming us, growing us, and sanctifying us into who you desire for us to be. For your glory, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So what does Jesus' resurrection mean to us? Here's what I want you to see. Here's the main idea I want us to explore this morning. Jesus' death and resurrection mean we have freedom from the power of sin in our lives. His death and resurrection means that you and I, if we're in Christ, we have freedom from the power of sin in our lives. We often think about being freed from the penalty of sin. We talk a lot, as we should talk about, of Christ dying and taking the wrath of God so that we don't have to experience it, that the penalty has been paid for, and we want to find hope in that. We want to keep rejoicing in that. But as we walk through this life, don't miss the hope that there is in knowing that when he died and rose again, he also is freeing us from the power, the control of sin over us, that we are no longer bound to our sin. We are no longer slaves to sin anymore. His death and resurrection mean we have freedom from the power of sin in our lives. Now, before we jump into that in this text this morning, I want to ask the question at the outset, why is this truth so needed? Like, why do we need to think back again about being freed from the power of sin? And the answer is, friends, because we're so prone to forget that. We're so prone to justify sin in our own lives. It's so easy to want to point fingers at other sin, but it's so much harder to look in the mirror and look into our own hearts. And we get so quick to excuse our own sin or act like our sin is not that big of a deal. And Paul knows that's our tendency, so he addresses it. Now, what we come to in Romans 6, we need to realize what Paul's saying, he's not saying in a vacuum. And honestly, friends, the, the challenge of a study like what we've done this year with Rooted is we're jumping around to a lot of text. So it makes it a lot harder to see the context and the flow of thought, which is why I'm so excited in a few weeks we're going to jump into 1 Peter and spend a whole year in one book of the Bible. So you see the context, see how the flow of thought builds. But we need to understand what Paul's saying before this to make sense of what he says in Romans 6 here. In the previous five chapters of Romans, Paul has made a case for the grace of God. That salvation is all of grace, that there's nothing we can do to earn God's forgiveness, that we are born sinners, we are born guilty. Our sin in our life just adds to our guilt. He shows our hopelessness, that there's nothing we can do to fix our sin problem, our alienation from God. And so our only hope is God's grace, his kindness to us, his undeserved kindness that God gives to wretched sinners like you and to me, that he saves us by God's grace. As we look through Romans 1 through 5, we realize that there is no sin so big God can't forgive it. And we realize... There's no amount of sin in anyone's life that makes them ineligible for receiving God's grace. That's Romans 1 to 5. Now, when we come to Romans 6, Paul addresses a problem that can arise. If we really believe in God's grace, his unmerited kindness, if we really believe there's nothing we do except for bring the sin and God brings the forgiveness, he begins to, real, he begins to address the issue that we can begin to presume upon that grace. We can begin to take that grace for granted, and we can even excuse sin in our lives going, eh, I'm forgiven, it'll be okay. Friends, it's very possible for people who say, I believe in a gospel of grace to excuse sin because of grace. It happened in the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. I think we have that up on the screen for you. It's actually reported there's sexual immorality among you, among the church. 
and of a kind that's not even tolerated among the pagans, for a man has his father's wife. Next verse. And you were arrogant. The church knew that people were living in sin, and they were boasting in it. They knew that God gave grace freely. He forgave sin, and so they were just excusing sin and tolerating sin in the church. Now, friends, before we throw stones at them, we may not do this in this particular sin, but we do that with sins in our own hearts as well. The things that we struggle with, we begin to excuse those sins, going, well, God will forgive me, or it's not that big of a deal, or it'll be okay. And so Paul addresses this tendency in our hearts in Romans chapter 6. He deals with an objection that is being made to a gospel of grace. So go look back at verse 1 of our text this morning. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound. There was some objection that was being made. So some of Paul's objectors were raising this thing. Hey, if salvation is all of grace, and if you sin, God's going to forgive your sin, why bother trying to be holy? In fact, the objectors were saying, hey, if God forgives sin, when you sin, go sin more, and you can get more grace. And Paul says, is that the case? If we really believe God's grace is free, if we really believe there's grace for every sin we commit, should we continue in sin? So we get more grace, and then verse 2, he gives the answer, by no means. He says it as firmly as possible here, by no means. Our experience of God's grace should never lead us to justify sin, should never lead us to tolerate sin, should never lead us to excuse sin in our own lives. So friends, so how do we, a people who are under the grace of God, how do we rightly view sin in our lives? And that's what Paul tells us here. He shows us how we should view our own sin in this text. And as he does so, we find a lot of hope here today, hope that I hope you will experience as well. Now, before we look at that more in depth, I want us to make sure we make this very personal for us. Because the reality is this is not just a nice theoretical concept. It's not just some philosophical thought for us to debate around a coffee shop, friends. This should be life-altering for me and for you. Why? Because I have sin in my life and you have sin in your life. First John chapter 1, verse 8 tells us very clearly, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Friends, I have sin in my heart, you have sin in your heart. This week we've all sinned in our speech. This week we've all sinned in our thoughts. We've all sinned in different ways this week. Two verses later in 1 John chapter 1, verse 10, he reiterates this as well. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So friends, the reality is you struggle with sin, I struggle with sin, every one of our elders and deacons and Sunday school teachers, we all struggle with sin, that we've not arrived in our process of growth and godliness. So before we jump into this text more this morning, I want to pause and ask you, what what are the sins that most control you? What are the sins in your life and in my life that most control us, the things that most trip us up, the things where we're most prone to fall to temptation? For some, it's pride, thinking too much of ourselves, demanding our way. For some, this room is going to be lust or secret sexual sins. For some, it may be covetousness or greed or the love of money. For some, it's bitterness and anger and resentment and towards other people and unforgiveness. For some, it's being argumentative or impatient or what the Bible calls clamor or yelling. For some, it's being judgmental. For some, it's laziness. And for some, it's workaholism. For some, it's not resting. For some, it's seeking our identity and what we do. Some, it has to do with not shepherding our families. There could be so much. So, friends, before we jump into this text, I want the Holy Spirit to use this text to help me and to help you grow in God. So, I want us to pause before we jump in. I want us to pray just individually, privately before the Lord. So, if you take a minute, bow your head, and just ask the Holy Spirit to show you what are the sins in your life that still have a grip on you. 
and to ask him to show you what are those areas where God wants to grow you personally. So take a minute and let's ask the Lord that before we continue. Father, our prayer is what we see in the Psalms, search my heart, O Lord. Lord, you see everything. God, there's nothing we can hide from you. We may be really good at hiding things from others around us, but we can hide nothing from you. Our hearts are laid bare before you. And Lord, we know that in Christ you love us, that you see us covered with Christ's righteousness so we can boldly walk before you. And we've experienced your grace and your kindness but Lord, we ask this day that you would search our hearts and you would show us those areas where we are not where we need to be in following you. Lord, you've told us to be holy as you are holy. And friends, none, God, none of us in this room, none of us can say that we're holy. God, we are all full of sin. None of us have clean hands and a pure heart. Lord, you see it all. But Lord, you still love us. You still run and pursue us. And God, I pray that today your Holy Spirit would search each one of our hearts Reveal to us those sins that you desire to free us from. And Lord, I pray that you would use your word and your Holy Spirit to make us more like Christ this day. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus' death and resurrection mean we have freedom from the power of sin in our lives. Whatever those areas are that God is convicting you of and showing you, his will is to free you, not just from the penalty of those sins, but from the power of that sin, from the grip of that sin over you. I want you to see this here, that God's will is to free you from the power of sin. Go back to verse 2 here. After the objection, should we just continue in sin? Is it okay to keep sinning? He says, by no means. And it says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? So why should sin not control us? Because the Bible says here we are di- we've died to sin. It doesn't mean to die to sin. It means that to break us free from sin's control. To die to sin means that sin does not have to control us anymore. One author I read this week said, dead people don't sin. It got me thinking. If you go to a funeral home and there's a person's body in a casket, that body's not sinning. That body cannot respond to the temptation. No matter what temptation you put before that corpse, that corpse is dead. The corpse can't respond to it. Friends, that's the image we need in our mind that if we are in Christ, we are to be dead to sin. Sin's pull over us should have as much power as it does over that corpse in a coffin at the funeral home. We need to be told this truth, friends, because we so forget it. The temptations come and we think, I can't help it, or we justify it, or so much happens, but we are to be dead to sin. Look at verse 3. Look at what Paul says. He says, do you not know? Now, just stop right there, friends. Paul's writing to believers here, and he's not asking a question for information. He's not saying, hey, what year did you learn this truth? Do you not know? This is a rebuke here. He's saying, you should know this. You say you're in Christ. You say you believe in a gospel of grace. You say you believe that God is holy. You say you know all these things. Do you not know? He's saying, then why then are you justifying sin in your life? He is rebuking them. He's rebuking us for the way we tolerate sin in our life. Now, let me be clear. This is not us tolerating sin in other people's lives. This is looking in with our own heart and our self-justifications here. This is about our tendency to be okay with our own sin here. And so Paul says, do you not know? And let me just remind us, we see no in Scripture here. This is not just information. 
This is really believing something in such a way that it changes. This is when you know something in the Bible, you're embracing it, you're submitting to it, and it changes you. So what is it that we need to know that they should have known, that we should know? That if we're in Christ, we're dead to sin. That's the truth we need to know here, that we should know that if we're in Christ, we are dead to sin. Now, how, do we, now how does he show us that? Go back to verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now, friends, when you look at this text, you see the word baptism here, but this text is not primarily about baptism. This text is using baptism, this powerful symbol. You saw it last week with Jeremy and Aaron in the tank. It was this powerful symbol that points us to a greater reality. And so Paul is using this to show us a truth that we need. Now, what's he doing here? For instance, when you're baptized into someone's name, you're identifying with that person. So he says we're baptized into Christ Jesus. He says we're being identified with Christ. But even more than that, baptism is a symbol of what we call our union with Christ. That we're united with Christ. And so when we're baptized, we're showing the world that we are not just identifying Christ, but we actually believe we are united with Christ. And he points out particularly here that we're united with Christ both in his death and his resurrection. Let's start here with the truth that we are united with Christ in his death. Look at verse number four here. Notice the imagery here. We were buried, therefore with him by baptism into death. So let's just stop right there. Buried, death. It's a picture that's being painted here for us that in Christ we are united with him in his death. Now what in the world does that mean? Well, the part we first think about is it means that our sins are forgiven, that being united to Christ, when he died on that cross, the wrath of God was satisfied, the penalty was paid in full, and so being united with him means that our sins are forgiven, but it also means that being united with him, that we are free from the power of sin in our lives, because when Christ was crucified, we are united with him, our old sin nature is killed, is put to death as well, we are no longer slaves to sin. Paul shows us this a few verses later in verses 6 and 7. Look at how he says this. Verse 6, we know that our old self was what? Our old self was what? I was crucified. So do we really believe our old nature before we knew Christ was crucified? We're united with Christ. So when he died, he crucified our old nature with him. We were therefore, sorry, verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to what? to nothing, and nothing means nothing there, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Verse 7, for the one who has died has been set free from sin. And so Paul is using this imagery of baptism of the person going under the water saying, yes, not only do I believe that Christ died for my sins, but I'm united with Christ and my old nature is buried. My old nature has died with Christ. There's an important distinction here, and it's not just semantics here because it changes how we view this, friends. Notice here, sin does not die to us, we die to sin. Okay, there's a big difference here. Sin does not die to us, we die to sin. As we walk through this life, there's no promise that temptations will stop coming our way. We are going to battle temptation until the day we see Jesus face to face. So sin does not die to us. We live in a world where our own flesh wants what's out there. We live in a world that's trying to pull us to be like the world. We have a very real spiritual enemy, Satan and demons, who are trying to trip us up. We will experience that the rest of our earthly lives. Sin does not die to us, but rather what the promise is here is that we die to sin, that we don't have to follow those temptations, that the power of sin has been broken in us because of what Christ has done. And so, friends, the question for us is when that temptation comes, whatever that was that you thought about at the beginning of the service, that temptation to something that's wrong or that temptation to not do what you should do, when that temptation comes, do we know that we are so united with Christ in his death 
that we are dead to that sin and we don't have to go down that path as we did before we met Christ. That's what Paul's telling us. We go a few verses later to verse 11 of Romans 6. He says, so you must also consider, count, reckon, think a certain way. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Friends, how much of our struggle with temptation and falling into temptation is because we forget that we are dead to sin, that we forget that we are united with Christ and we are freed from the power of sin. Friends, do you know this morning you are dead to sin? We're united with Christ in his death. But in baptism, we don't stop with just a symbol of a person going under. No one would get baptized here again if we held the person under until they died, right? It would not be a fun experience. So baptism is a symbol of, yes, I believe Christ died and I am united with him in his death, but there's also the coming up. Yes, we say that Christ rose from the dead, but we're also saying I'm united with Christ in his resurrection also. Go back to verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Friends, this verse is so profound here because when we believe in Christ, we're united with him in his death, but we're also united with him in his resurrection here. Look at verse 5. Paul says it very clearly. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. That means just as Christ rose from the dead, if we are in Christ, we have a new resurrection life because we're united with the risen Christ. So what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, you know the verse well. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a what? New creation. The old has what? Passed, passed away. Okay, he knows this is intentional language and imagery in Bible. Death, burial, passing away, the same thing. Our old nature, our being slaves to sin, our old ways of being bound to sin, not being able to help but sin, it is died. When Christ died, he took that with us, away from us. It's passed away. Behold, the new, our new nature has come. Go back to verse 4 today, same imagery in here. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, let's break that phrase apart. Let me ask you ask three questions to make sure we understand this phrase, walking in newness of life. First of all, what does it mean to walk? Now, obviously, we know what walking is, putting one foot in front of the other, right? But in Scripture, when you see the word to walk here, it's a metaphor for living. So when Paul says we're to walk in newness of life, he's saying there's something that should be different about our lives. That if we really believe in Christ and we're united with Jesus in his, in his death and in his resurrection, our lives should be radically different. One of the authors I read this week said it is impossible to continue living unchanged when you are in Christ. Amen. Think about that. It is impossible to continue living unchanged if you are in Christ. That if we know Christ, if we really are united with him in his death, united with him in his resurrection, then something will be different in us because of that, our lives are going to be changed. We're going to walk. We're going to live differently. So that's what it means to walk. It means to live. So what then is this newness of life? Some of your translations may say a new way of life. Now, we see newness of life or new way of life. This is not talking about a slight alteration. This is not like, okay, I'm going to be healthier this year, so I start eating a piece of broccoli after my Big Mac every day, okay? We're not talking about like little minor alterations in this. When we talk about a new life, this is a radical change here. That's why the imagery here is dying, passing away, death, like a total change in our life. If you think back to, if you were with us several years back when we studied the Gospel of John, we said faith is receiving a radical transformation from above. If we have newness of life, our lives are going to be radically altered in so many ways. 
Paul gives us a picture of this in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. In Ephesians 4, you see this, that we're to put off our old self. And you notice the old new distinction. If we're in Christ, we're united with him in his death and his resurrection. There's an old self that's been put off, that's been killed. We're to put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Verse 23 carries on. And we're to be renewed. We're to be thinking differently in the spirit of your minds. Verse 24 carries on. And we're to put on... The new self, the old one's dead, the new one's here, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That if we are in Christ, the power of sin has been broken over us, the control of sin over us has been broken, and so there should be a radical change in our life. Now, what would that include? Well, there's a great summary list in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. In Galatians 5, 16, let's just read through this whole text. But I say, walk by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. If you're led by the spirit, you're not under law. It keeps going. Now the works of the flesh are evident. These are the things that are the old way of life that we shouldn't, that should not have any power over us anymore. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. It keeps going. Verse 20. Idolatry, sorcery, enmity, fightings, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, keeps going in verse 21, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, verse 22, we get our contrast here. But the fruit of the Spirit, this is the new life, this is what our lives should be conformed to as we walk in use of life, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. He was going to verse 23, gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. Now, notice verse 24, one more verse in this text. And those who belong to Jesus have... Have done what? What's the next word? Crucified. We've crucified. Okay, the old nature has been crucified with Christ. We've crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. So to walk in newness of life is what you see right here, a radical transformation of our words, our thoughts, our actions. At least our third question, if we're going to walk in newness of life, how is that possible? How is it possible to have newness of life? We'll go back to verse 4 in our text today. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, notice this, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now, this is kind of a strange phrase. It says Jesus was raised by the glory of the Father. Here, glory is being used as a synonym for power. The glory just describes all of who God is, and that would include his power, that God's power raised Jesus from the dead. Now, let this sink in. Just as Jesus was raised from the glory, by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead is available to you and to me in Christ to give us victory over sin. We just saw in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Friends, if we are in Christ, when you trust Christ, you get the Holy Spirit. The third person of the one true God is literally dwelling within us. Romans chapter 8, verses 10 to 11 points us to this reality. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Now, verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Now, just stop right there. We need to own that, memorize that, meditate on that. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, friends. The next time that temptation, whatever you were thinking about at the beginning of the service, comes to you, if you are in Christ, you have the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead actually dwelling within you. He raised Jesus he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. Friends, we have God's resurrection power at work in us. 
And so we think about this in verse 4 of walking in newness of life, friends. This is not a challenge to try harder this week. It's not a call to what I call that white-knuckle determination. We're just going to hang on and try harder and grit our teeth and try not to cave into that sin. We will never fight sin and grow in guidance if we just try it in our own strength on it. This is a call to rely on God's power, to cry out for the Holy Spirit to fill us, to take control of us, to change our thoughts, for us to run to Scripture and read God's Word and consider ourselves dead to sin and let these truths soak into our hearts so that it's God's power that changes us. Let's bring all that back together. What does Jesus' resurrection mean to us? Jesus' death and resurrection mean that we have freedom from the power of sin in our lives. So if we have God's grace, should we sin more? No. Rather the opposite, we should be sinning less. We talk about grace, you heard me say before, there's two aspects of grace. There's God's forgiving grace, that when we sin, yes, God will forgive us every time. No matter what I do wrong this week, you do wrong this week, God forgives us in Christ because it's already been dealt with. But his grace is not just forgiving grace, his grace is transforming grace. That God wants us to be more and more like Christ, and so he transforms us, and he gives what John says, grace upon grace. No matter how much we sin, yes, he keeps forgiven, but he also gives us unending, transforming grace to make us more and more like Christ. So friends, think back to that opening reflection and prayer time. What are the sins that are most dominating your life today? And know today that if you're in Christ, Christ died not only to give you forgiving grace for that sin, He died to give you transforming grace to bring you out from that sin. For those areas, friends, where you're experiencing that freedom, where you can look back and say, look at what God brought me from. Rejoice, because it's not of you. That is his grace. That's the Holy Spirit working in you because you are dead to sin through your union with Christ. But for those areas where sin is still exerting power over you and me, those areas where we're still falling to temptation, remember, God's will for us is not just to keep forgiving us, but he will. It's to to give us freedom from the power of that sin. And so let's be a people who rejoice in God's grace, not just a forgiving grace, but it's transforming grace. And this week to run to him, confess our sins, and ask for grace to change and find hope, friends. I mean, that God loves us too much to leave us where we are, but is going to keep pursuing us and chasing after us and transforming us to be more and more like Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, we are thankful for your grace. We are thankful for your unmerited kindness that forgives us of our sins. God, that you do not treat us like our sins deserve. If you treat us like our sins deserve, none of us could stand today. But Lord, in your mercy, you took all of the wrath that I should experience and these friends should experience, and you put it all on Christ. So he said, it is finished. The penalty that we should have experienced for all eternity has been dealt with in the moment there. And Lord, we rejoice in that, but Lord, help us not stop there. Or just as we are thankful for your forgiving grace, help us be thankful for your transforming grace. And I pray we would treasure that, that you want to change us, that you desire to make us more and more like Christ. And so, Lord, as we think about things like holiness, I pray that wouldn't seem legalistic to us, that wouldn't seem out there for others. But, God, you would stir within our hearts a longing to grow in holiness, to grow in godliness, to let you sanctify us and cleanse us and make us more like Christ. Because we know that's your good and your perfect will for each one of us. Lord, you know what each person was reflecting on and praying about at the beginning of the service. Lord, it's incredible to realize that you know everything. And Lord, we may do a really good job lying to others about where we're struggling. We may even lie to ourselves about where we're struggling. But God, we cannot deceive you. You see everything. Nothing escapes your all-piercing gaze. And so, Lord, I pray this week we wouldn't be afraid of that. But we would run to you, our creator, our redeemer, our good heavenly father. And then we would just 
before you, ask you to search our hearts. We know it's painful, but it's painful for our own good. So I pray we wouldn't be afraid to go to you this week and say, Lord, show me those areas where I'm displeasing you, those areas where I'm still struggling with sin, and to go to you. And as you show us those things, to confess them to you in repentance, to know that you forgive us and you cleanse us, but to go to you not just wanting forgiveness, but to go to you wanting transformation. Oh, Lord, would you give us hearts this week that become discontent with our sin, that become discontent with our struggles, and that want to pursue godliness because we love you. Lord, we can't manufacture those desires. We can't manufacture hearts that won't transform in grace. But Lord, I pray that you'd help us understand that we are united with Christ in his death and his resurrection. His resurrection power is freeing us. And I pray that this week we would see your power work in each one of our hearts, freeing us to be more and more who you've created us to be. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? We're about to sing a closing song called Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. Because we're singing the gospel here. We're singing what Christ has done for us. So in Christ, rejoice in this. Rejoice in what he's done, but ponder the words you're about to sing. Come behold the wondrous mystery, slain by death, the God of life. No grave could ever restrain him. Praise the Lord, he's alive. We're gonna be singing about the resurrection of Christ we're just reading about. But notice it goes on in the song we're about to sing. What a foretaste of deliverance. Friends, the day is coming that in Christ, you and I will never be tempted again. We'll be with Jesus and see him in his glory and sin will have no more sway over us. But that's a foretaste of deliverance now. We're freed from the power of sin now. And so we see how unwavering our hope, Christ in power resurrected as he will be when he comes. Let's sing and rejoice in our creator this morning. Come behold. Come behold the wondrous mystery in the dawning of the King. He, the theme of heaven's praises, robed in fair humanity. And in our longing and our darkness, now the light. Oh, life has come. Look to Christ who condescended, took on flesh to ransom us. Come behold the wondrous mystery, be the In the state of ruins, 
to be available for you. So William, I see you back here. If you could maybe come up to the front and um, yeah, Rick's right up here if you want to come over here and I see Jeff back there as well. So we got, these are three of the guys on the elder team. If you want someone just to pray with you, know you're not alone. God has given us the grace gift of community. And so if you want someone just to, to pray with you about whatever the Lord's convicting you, I've shown you, come see Jeff, come see Rick, come see William, meet other elders or deacons in the room. We'd love to talk with you, but let me pray for us. Lord, I do pray that we would take time to behold the wondrous mystery of what Christ has done for us. We've just sung and encouraged another to come behold the wondrous mystery, slain by death, the God of life. Lord, you know our struggle with busyness and even taking time to think about you. I pray this week you would remind us through your Holy Spirit of the cross of salvation, of your glory, your greatness. And we find our hearts turned to you to where we long to pray, long to read your word, long to worship you all throughout this week because we know that we belong to you. So do what we can't do, Lord, but only you can do. Turn our hearts to you this week and grow us in godliness, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Gateway family. Have a great Sunday.